Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Hacker Noon podcast. I am Lee Mark, your stand-in host for the day, the gaming editor at Hacker Noon, VP of Growth, general gamer, anime nerd. We're also joined by Amy Tom, Nicholas Cage's number one fan, and our regular podcast manager. True. Hello, Amy. And we also have Ellen DeGeneres. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have Ellen <laughs> Stevens, our editorial assistant extraordinaire, and all things newsletter at Hacker Noon. Hello, Ellen. Hello. So this week on Planet Internet, we're talking about data privacy and also the pros and cons of the way that the data market is working in the world right now. And we have a bunch of uh, Hacker Noon articles to talk about that. So let's start with the first one, which is titled, The Most Expensive Things in Life Are Free of Charge, Protect Your Data by Zen Chan. What did you think of this one, Ellen? I thought this was an excellent piece because they really go into discussing how uh, you can manage your online footprint. So all of the things that you've been sharing with different companies, different logins, et cetera, it really dives into what you can do to, to sort of maybe remove some of that data from just arbitrarily existing in the world. And I think that's very valuable uh, in this day and age. I would have liked to see a little bit more focus on exactly what can happen um, when all that data is out there. Because sometimes when you're signing up for different emails, different programs, different things like that, you are sharing quite a plethora of personal information. And so the more that you share that, higher the chance of one of those companies potentially getting high having security vulnerabilities, and it really allows uh, a hacker, whomever, to build quite a profile on a particular user. That's one thing that maybe I, I would have liked to see a little bit more of, but I think they... They did a fantastic job with covering some of the suggestions for what you can do to minimize the data that's already out there. So one of the things they suggest is to review your online accounts and clean them up. So sometimes, for example, maybe you signed up for an email forever ago, you no longer use it. So why not close that account or some app that you signed up for? Why not why not actually go back and, and clean that up to, to make sure that, that data is no longer potentially at risk? Because if it's an application you're no longer using, maybe other people are also not using it. And so the upkeep and, and the security that's currently present in the application might be compromised. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things. The other thing that So they... what would you explain? As, could you give a brief, your definition of what's a digital footprint? What would you say a digital footprint is? I would say that it's various amounts of data that are out online about a particular person. So uh, I think things like names, date of birth, um, fitness data, phone numbers, credit card numbers, your first pet name, <laughs> uh, I think <laughs> yeah. is listed here. Uh, cool. So things, things like that, yeah. I just want to flex my Japanese knowledge a bit. Okay. This phrase actually directly translated means there's nothing more expensive than free stuff. Just wanted to, just wanted to tell you all that. Okay. I can read that. No big deal. Not a big deal. <laughs> no big deal no Anyways. Big deal. We're, we're uh, very impressed. <laughs> 
Amy, so talking about all of these things you could do to minimize your digital footprint and reduce the amount of data you have online, point blank, do you care enough to do any of this stuff? Why or why not? It depends. If you think about the kind of data that is available online, like my name, obviously don't care. Something like my first pet's name, maybe I care a little bit more about because it's like a security answer to a question. Mm -hmm. Actually, a few months ago, I went on a date and the guy asked me what my pet's first name was. And I was like, um, I don't uh, want to tell buddy. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, so random. Yes. And it depends on what the kind of data is. And yeah, stuff like my fitness data, my weight, I don't really care. But my credit card information, my social security number, my pet's first name, those yeah. are data points that I hold more at, with more value. It depends. Yeah. What about you, Ellen? Do you care enough to do any of these methods they listed here? I care profoundly, but I don't always do them. One of mm. one of the thing one of the stories that I, I wanted to share with respect to this article is a couple of years ago, I received a very fascinating email in uh, my core email that I use. And the subject headline was one of my former passwords for mm. that account. What? Yeah. Mm. And Whoa. yeah, <laughs> and I, so you can do this thing when you know it's a shady email where you view the source of the email and you don't actually open the email because sometimes if you open the email, there's, anyway, so I viewed the source of the email to see and it essentially was someone trying to get more information from me, threatening me, stuff like that. So what had happened is that particular email service provider had a massive security breach. And so when things like that happen, your yeah information gets posted on the dark web and yeah so they posted my my email and then the password associated with it so thankfully by this point i had changed it a number of times but i did keep it the same for quite a while so there's a website that you can check but i'm not going to remember what what it is I think right it's now called have i been pwned.com or something like that i think so yeah, <laughs> yeah. really yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. shows that seems, the amount that seems very like 2000s internety age. <laughs> yeah. The the most okay. miraculous thing though with that particular email that I had is there were multiple security breaches <laughs> associated wow. with yeah. So it was so. your fault. No, I don't think so. Different, no. different <laughs> companies that I had used yeah. to sign up, there were multiple companies that had massive security breaches. So yeah, yeah, I care. I still have uh, Facebook and Instagram and such yeah. things. The exact same thing happened to me too, but like the password they said they knew was like my password for my 2001 laptop that has no valuable data at all. So I was like, okay, go ahead, t take that laptop if you want. Have fun, yeah. <laughs> Okay. On the subject of lessening the data you put out into the world, our next article uh, is similar. It's called Have Your Pri Have Your Privacy Cake on Android and Eat It Too. Amy, what is this one about and what did you think about it? Yeah, it's about the Android privacy protocol. And honestly, I thought it was a bit confusing because it's suggesting <laughs> that instead of logging into your Google account to increase the uh, level of privacy control that you have over your Android, you can log in via something else. I think it's called Aura Aurora Store. And mm -hmm. and then it basically works like 
like the Google Play Store, except not. And then you don't have to connect your Google account to your Android phone. But the reason that it confused me a bit is because from everything that I have heard or know about Android security, it's like the number one thing is don't download apps that are not from the Google Play Store. So mm. is the trade-off worth it? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Lemar? Yeah. So it's interesting. The process this guy describes is using a different OS that's not the Android OS. And like you said, not using the Play Store, but the Aurora Store. Mm -hmm. But like Google gives you that warning because of course they spend a lot of money to improve the cybersecurity of their specific store. So that is true in a way. Mm -hmm. But also they're cutting out the competition by saying don't right. allow, uh, download any other apps other than from our store, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, if I wanted to make one phone really private, I could see myself definitely doing this, but it depends because if I want to use Facebook or um, YouTube or any product that requires Google sign-in on that phone, mm -hmm. then I can't anymore. Yeah. So maybe if I had a company or whatever and I wanted to give all my employees work phones, maybe I might create a system like this where... Uh, they don't uh, give Google any of their data and we use limited apps. But for my personal day-to-day -day usage, I don't think I care enough to do such a thing. What about you, Ellen? Would you uh, wipe all of the Google apps from your phone like this? So in an ideal world, I'm you know a very firm believer in using encrypted email services and applications. And there are companies out there who specialize uh, actually in this. So instead of relying on Google for the majority of uh, a company's sort of functionality, there are options out there that are encrypted. If I was setting something up, that would be something that would be at the top of my list to do. Right now, it is what it is. I do, however, use an iPhone. <laughs> so <laughs> this doesn't... Uh, um, I see. It doesn't apply to you. Uh-huh. Uh You're <laughs> not in the Android club. Yeah. Uh, what I appreciated the most about this article, though, is that as it describes like what you need to do, it also says that you need to create a work profile for in case you need like certain Google account mm -hmm. things so you create like a faux profile but every mm -hmm. time they mention the word work it's in quotes <laughs> so it's yeah. like yeah. your work apps yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure wink i think apple i've heard apple ios has a bit better security than android so maybe ellen's winning if she's team team iphone but i'm never gonna go back to team iphone i can't imagine what would make me go back to see my phone. They'd have to have a really specific exclusive app that I wanted. Yeah, I, I generally try and have both systems. Even with computers, I, I had both. Um, however, right now, I am considering maybe just getting another phone to keep work and personal separate. The thing though is I don't have much going on personally. So it's like it doesn't make <laughs> So you could use like a, you could, so. get a you could get a Nokia flip phone for the personal stuff then. <laughs> you don't yeah. need a smartphone. Okay. So yeah, says so the girl that sent me a Slack message at three in the morning yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I've been wondering when that would come up because I'll comment at four in the morning, like something really strange. Like, at which point are people going to be like, Ellen? Do you yeah. sleep? <laughs> I also okay, forgot really. to introduce the author, and I want to now because of his profile picture. So his name is Pizza Panther. 
and he has the Pink Panther. Uh, he's a father web developer and pizza maker. And that's all that matters is pizza that's maker. That's all that matters. Like I'm, yeah. He's Pizza Panther. I also noticed oh. that and I appreciated it a lot. But I also appreciate the fact that below it, we have the book to call button, but it says book to call, book a call with, with Pizza, pizza Panther. Panther. <laughs> and like the fact that you're putting that in your writer bio, like he must make pizza from scratch. Like he makes and needs the dough. Oh, yeah. It's my image. Yeah. It's got to be good pizza. Yeah. He might have like his own stone uh, fire pizza. Oh, yeah. He has got a stone fire oven. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently that's a thing. We should ask him. (laughs) Speaking of fires, the next article is about how AI can spot wildfires faster than humans. Beautiful segue segue of the year award. Gave me chills. This article is actually by someone I've known for a while. His name is Louis Bouchard. He's a TA at a computer vision program in a university in Montreal. And he runs this YouTube, um, an AI YouTube channel that it has grown really fast. So I want to talk to him about how he did that so he can match. But he basically posts these videos about different AI research papers or different AI tools that big companies have built. And he explains it in a way that anybody can understand, which I think is really missing in like, not just the YouTube space, but the AI space in general. So he does something really cool. And we uh, publish his videos on Hacker Noon. And this is one of them. Ellen, did you take a look at this video at all? And what did you think about it? I did. I, I thought it was fantastic. So what's happening here is they've developed a AI program which can recognize if there is a forest fire or starting. And so the reason why the AI is better than people is because it can monitor various sections um, of the forest 24 Mm -hmm. 7 and so it can recognize fires and a potential problem much faster than a human might because humans get distracted they might not necessarily be paying attention to 24 7 and so the rate uh, at which the ai catches things compared to humans it's much much faster And this video is fascinating because they talk about how they actually made this happen, how they trained the artificial intelligence to be able to spot this. And one of the things, so one of the things, of course, when you're training artificial intelligence is the data is very important. So the the type of data that you're training it on has to be uh, very good quality data because the better the data, the better the functioning of the AI. But what I thought Mm -hmm. was particularly incredible incredible was they had 20 people manually labeling 9,000 images as precisely as possible. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they'd have photos of the fire starting and they'd have to outline the part that was the smoke or the fire, etc. Yeah. And yeah, he goes into to a lot more detail, but I just, I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, Cool. Yeah. And I worked in the AI training data industry for a while. And that process you just explained is actually a smaller, that's like a smaller project. If you look into like the projects that bigger companies do, 20 people and 9,000 images is nothing. (laughs) There's some projects that have hundreds or thousands of people doing the same thing. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. cool. But the reason I included this article in this week on Planet Internet is because it shows what we can build and the benefits of having 
democratic data policy where we aren't so private about data and what people can build with it. So my question to you, Amy, is when you see like the positive impact that AI can do to the world based on the like enormous amounts of data we feed it, do you think like the positive impacts have a good enough trade-off to like just accept the fact that we're not going to be as private with our data in the future? That's really interesting. I was talking to someone on the podcast a little while ago about data for good initiatives. And I think that what you're talking about, the data behind this, like fire data or data of wildlife or whatever it is, um, that kind of data, we don't really care about our privacy issues. Like, it's a different question if you're asking me about my personal data and mm -hmm. what it's being used for in AI, which is to sell me things. So in that sense, like it's less less kosher, I think, than using data for good in terms of mm -hmm. helping with wildfires or whatever the cause might be. So yeah, I think that's where yeah. I'm falling on that. I'm glad you said that because I prepared for such an answer. So oh, <laughs> A similar like use case with a similar training method would be uh, to create an AI that could detect danger in public spaces. So the AI could detect somebody pulling out a knife or pulling out a gun. But in order to do that, you have to feed the AI hours and hours of video of public spaces. And that's closer to the data you're talking about. If, if that's data of people walking around mm. outside or people going shopping in a store. So that's like pictures and images of you that are being fed to this thing, but it is for a good cause. Thinking about that, I could throw the question out to both you or Ellen. When you think about that, is that okay to give up your privacy and your data if it's to build tools like that? I think when something is an ethical type of question, there needs to be a committee that has a certain set of points uh, where they discuss like a, a sort of ethics um, this is ethics the committee. committee this is the committee we, we are discussing this this well, is it <laughs> welcome uh, it, it would be it's a complicated it's a complicated thing ultimately the decision uh, would come down to whether the compromise in personal information outweighs the overall societal benefit of mm -hmm using that personal information. And so in the mm -hmm. case of recognizing potentially violent criminals on the street, uh, it would have to, you'd have to look at the rate of that happening within a mm -hmm. particular population and the ways in which this data could be abused by you know, the government or the um, legal system. So it's hard for me to just really decide without having looked at various da yeah. data points about that information. Uh, the thing that I will say about fires, though, is the, uh, the there's quite a lot of fires right now in Ontario. And the other day I woke up and everything smelled like smoke. And it's the craziest thing to take fresh air for granted, even though I actively moved to an area with fresher air, like intentionally, but nonetheless, to open a window expecting proper, just like a good smell to come in and have everything smell like smoke and fire is the craziest experience. So definitely yeah. support this 
that's, data uh, use. That, that's scary. Is the fire yeah. that close or is it, does it just travel that far? Like you're not in a danger zone, but you can just smell the smoke from like a hundred miles away or, or what's the situation? Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's, it was too close, the fire. The smoke, I, I, I think it, it's, the smoke blew in this direction. I see. So Has this yeah, happened was, in your area before? I imagine it probably has, but in all the time, like I've been here for almost, I think, like nine or 10 years. And this is the mm. first time that I've opened the, the door to my balcony, mm. my mini balcony. and just been like, mm. wow. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, in cool. BC, where I'm from in Vancouver, it happens probably almost every year. We get a little bit of smoke fire coming from either California or northern BC. But right now, our province is in a state of emergency because there's so many wildfires burning right now. And I am in a similar boat. It's not so bad in the lower mainland yet when I open my window, but it's coming down. And there are hundreds of wildfires burning in BC right now, destroying thousands and thousands of acres of trees and land and and houses. So I also strongly believe in this cause. But to answer your original question, Lee Mark, and to give me maybe like a shorter, concise, more concise answer. I think no. I don't think that the that people should be watching people because anything, anytime data involving people is being collected, that someone's using it <laughs> for not good. So yeah, I don't think that should be a thing. And I think, I yeah, I agree with Ellen when it comes down to the level of the rate of attacks or whatever the yeah. case like the rate of x and i don't yeah. think that anything would be greater than the privacy of people in general i see i see mm -hmm. uh speaking of that basically i wanted to give a good example of people using ai for good and the next article is about a gray area example i don't We'll decide whether you want to call it good or bad, but it's basically about how TikTok uses data to keep people on the platform. So this article is called Hacking Your Mind with AI, The Case of Addictive TikTok. It's written by Edwin Lizowski. And um, it's basically about, as I said, how TikTok uses data to keep people on its platform. So what did you think of this article, Amy? It was interesting. I think that from what I know about TikTok, this makes a lot of sense because it's based off of the amount of time that people spend watching a particular TikTok, the number of likes that it gets, the number of shares that it gets, and the more obviously interaction and time spent on a particular TikTok, the better it's going to perform and push the algorithm up. And I think that TikTok has a really interesting algorithm because unlike the other social algorithms, it's very easy, not very easy, but it's much easier to have a viral video than it is on any other platform currently. I think with the like case of addiction, this makes sense. And uh, yeah, I think we're gonna continue to see that in like their algorithm and the way that TikTok grows. And I, if you notice, like if you're watching certain TikToks, you'll no start to see that at the very end of the video, they put like a little bit of, oh shit, I think I should watch that again. So that you have to watch the whole thing again. And that just keeps you like watching and time spent on the video. Yeah. Well, sorry, what do you mean by at the end, they make a trigger that makes you feel like you, you want to watch oh, it? Oh, just like, 
they add like a quick little one second clip at the very end of the video that you're like, wait, what? What was that? And I got to go watch it again. So you, then you watch the whole 15 second video again just mm. to watch that last second. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. What about you, Ellen? What do you think of the way TikTok uses data? So I am not a TikTok user at this time. However, what I have heard about TikTok is a number of different companies and legislators are concerned about the level of security there. This, this may very well tie into that, but I, I, I don't think for this particular topic, I, I have too much to say. I'm not, not an expert on the TikTok. I have a question, okay. Lee Mark, about like your, because you, I think you have more knowledge of AI than I do. Do you know mm -hmm. if using AI in a social alg algorithm is a common thing to do, or is this revolutionary? That's, that's an important point to discuss. So I think a lot of people, when they think of AI, they immediately think of something that like self learns based on all mm. of the input you give it and then like becomes this God machine, but it, it really isn't. When you look into AI, there's a reason why it says AI algorithms and AI models is because it's just really a set of algorithms that trigger responses and it fakes, it simulates the way our brains work, but it is just math at the end of the day. Like when we talk about an AI algorithm of TikTok, we're just talking about a more complicated version of something as simple as a spam filter, but they're just using it for a different purpose. So no, it's not revolutionary at all, but it mm -hmm. also depends on what their weights are on the algorithms, like what, what they might be tracking and what they might be, the predictions they might be finding from that data could be revolutionary. It could be better than YouTube's or Facebook's. The only way, the only people that would know is their data science team and yeah. how they would um, figure that out. But the idea of using AI to promote content on a social platform isn't revolutionary at all, but the, the way that you said they're doing it better than other people, they must be doing something better and something different than the YouTubes and the Instagrams of the world. Yeah, it's just a completely different algorithm and different purpose, I guess. Like with Instagram, it's harder as a brand for you to show mm -hmm. up on someone's feed. It's easier for you to show up as a individual on someone's feed. With TikTok, mm -hmm. it makes it really easy for brands to become viral because it doesn't differentiate at this point. Yeah, and that's important too, because if in your algorithm, you have a stronger weight on the amount of uh, followers a brand has, then that, in that sense, your algorithm is helping the rich stay rich and it's harder for the poor to get rich because mm -hmm. it's harder for somebody who has zero followers to get a thousand yeah. than it is for somebody who has a million to get a million and a hundred thousand. So mm -hmm. it, it depends on the kind of platform you want to build. Yeah. 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 And these nobody people, not just businesses, can also become viral. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... My question with this article was still the same. So like when you see what TikTok is doing or not even just TikTok, YouTube, uh, Instagram, whatever you have it, the way that they track your data and the way you use those platforms to influence what's on those platforms, do you think that's okay because it makes you have a better experience on those platforms? Or do you feel like we've just gotten too complacent and we just feel like it's normal so everyone's just going with the flow? Hmm. No, I think I like it. 
I think I like it to have the kind of content that I want to have because my Instagram knows that I like dogs and bunnies and that's great, but it doesn't know my address. So I think I'm good with that. I see. What about you, Ellen? What do you, how do you feel about any social media platform kind of pushing content based on your activity? I think that sometimes what that leads to is an echo chamber. So if you have one particular viewpoint and the only content that you're really seeing on these platforms mm. that you're interacting with on a daily basis, you're really go only getting one side of a particular story and it makes it very easy to manipulate a population. I think it's wise to have to create access to multiple perspectives, different types of content, and this idea that the big tech overlords are controlling essentially what people, large sections of the population see and think is very dangerous. It could be used in, and it is used uh, in all sorts of different questionable political motives. And so I think like anything, it's very questionable. <laughs> It's yeah. questionable, yeah. Do you agree with that point, Amy, or you're on a different camp? No, I think I'm probably about yeah. in the same boat, yeah. I I want to give a personal example of how, like, how, like, the reason I believe that's so true, and it's because I moved to Japan. Uh, after coming to Japan, it became so apparent that whatever news is shown to you on the internet or on TV becomes your reality. And the, mm. the reason I realized that is because the first time I came back to Canada after, I don't know, let's say a year or two years, there might be a song on the radio and I'd be like, who is this? And everybody around me would be like, how do you not know X person? So that's like a simple way of um, explaining it. But the more like interesting way is just in general news. Like I might, there might be somebody like a friend from Canada that says, oh yeah, man, did you hear about this social thing that happened? And everybody in Canada knows about it. But because I'm in Japan, none of us care about it. So <laughs> that, that reality doesn't exist for me. And it's super interesting that in the world and what's pushed on your Facebook feeds, your Instagram feeds, that is your reality. And it's strongly dependent on your location. And your reality can drastically change if all of the news you're being pushed is right wing. And all of the news you're being pushed is left wing and yeah. you just see one side of a topic and it, it becomes reality for you because that's all. And I think some people might say, oh, it's just social media. It doesn't matter. But I think like it or not, social media is the common newspaper. That's the that's what we use now. Like mm -hmm. people might say, no, I don't listen to it. But you do. You, you see these things on social media and people it basically mm -hmm. becomes what they how they view the world. It also depends who your friends are too, at least with Instagram, mm -hmm. I believe, because then it curates your explore feed or whatever they call it now. So mm -hmm. based on the things that your friends, that's the kind of content that gets shown to you sometimes too. So it also depends who you're following. Yeah. And mm -hmm. another point on that is with not just with like social issues, but for me personally, I feel like because I'm so involved in the tech world and all of my friends are in tech and everything, like sometimes I feel this like pressure because I don't I'm, I don't know enough or I'm not good enough in tech. But then I think like I meet other people who are not in tech at all and they're like, how do you know so much? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's yeah. because my whole like social network and circle is all in tech. So 
everybody knows about tech, but then there's people who are, don't know anything about tech and I'm like, I know way more than them. Yeah, it, it also depends on that too, I think. Speaking of tech, Amy's been talking a lot about a tech billionaire that recently went to space. She has, I think you have a few things to say about I do. Our, our new astronaut. What, what's the problem, Amy? What's going on? Oh, what's the problem? Did you guys see the video of, of them in space? I saw the launch, but I didn't see like the in shuttle video. Is it funny? Is it good? No, it's not funny. It's like hurtful to my soul. <laughs> they like they are like floating around there and Jeff Bezos goes to the 18 year old and he's hey throw me that like see if you can catch this in your mouth and he like throws him a piece of candy or whatever and he catches it and then Jeff Bezos is like yeah oh my god this is so much oh, fun we're billionaires no. and I'm like oh god <laughs> the worst but what I am excited about is that within the people that went to space was an 80 year old woman which is very cool because she's now the oldest woman to have wow. become an astronaut so that's exciting for women in tech she can do that but i can't ride a roller coaster that's great yep mm -hmm. and then the eight yeah the 18 year old and then yeah they were just like throwing ping pong ping pong balls around it was super obnoxious go to um instagram blue origin and look instagram. up the video yeah blue because blue. it's offensive <laughs> <laughs> someone should describe what's happening on screen okay they're floating <laughs> around in space and they're literally just oh my god this is so much fun look at us woo and then they're oh now jeff bezos is holding hands with wally the 80 year old woman who went to space they're hugging they're floating upside down i need to see <laughs> the part where they have the ping pong balls it's the ping pong balls that really offend me. Like, of course, you brought ping pong balls up to space to have a little throw around. It's the part that the part offends me where they throw candy or whatever into each other's mouths. <laughs> like they're just having a party up there while everybody else down here is poor and there are people oh who are starving <laughs> and there are people who need vaccines and they're just throwing <laughs> candy into each other's mouth in space and just saying, oh my God, look how fun this is. I okay, hate it. <laughs> someone absolutely needs to take the everything that Amy was saying and do the overlay, the audio overlay over that oh, video. Oh, that would be great. That would be <laughs> a great absolutely. TikTok. Yes. <laughs> Bye, oh my God, uh, look at uh, me in space. <laughs> and people need I, vaccines and they're just <laughs> floating. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, what about the social distancing on that shuttle of Blue yeah, Origin? There was on none. That? No? And was, also, was it, everybody is calling masks? it the space penis, which is delightful. That's <laughs> fair. It does, I mean, look, that's it does fair. look like that's very fair. similar. <laughs> yeah, like, I, have, I don't think I have as much inherent hate just because of, like, uh, screw, the, screw the patriarchy and the bourgeois. That's not my hate. It's more, what an unbelievable waste of money and of time money, like, yeah. if you're gonna do it why only 11 minutes why don't you stay there for a couple hours you're already up there like what you've already taken the risk to get up there i'm pretty sure launching is like the most dangerous part like why know. stay for 11 minutes go longer or no like idea. it costs millions of dollars to do that could you couldn't you like launch a satellite at the same time or something like <laughs> couldn't you have made yeah. it useful yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah 
but we'll never know until we reach that level of billionaireism. So just wait, you'll get there and then we'll find out why he did it, perhaps. <laughs> Amy's tricks. Yeah, when Amy becomes a billionaire, she'll be like, maybe I don't hate them so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, you, actually, that 18-year-old son of a millionaire is cute. So if you want to... <laughs> not all billionaires <laughs> i see i see <laughs> just kidding i see all right so- thanks for joining us on this week on planet internet once again i'm lee mark your host joined by amy tom and ellen stevens and thanks for joining and see you next time bye peace au revoir out.